Happy New Year. You're like, not enough coffee yet. Come on. Hey, you are the very first service of 2017 at Bridgeway Christian Church. And you that are here are the most holy because you came to the early service. And so if you look in the seat in front of you, there's a welcome card. That's about it. There's no iPad or anything we get to give you. But we are glad that uh, you um, either went to bed early last night or you went, no, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be there first thing in the morning. And so we welcome you guys um, to another year. Um, yesterday was Pastor Lance's birthday. And so, uh, so that's why you have me up here this weekend, whether that makes you excited or you're like, I don't know you. You're the high school pastor. I don't know what that means. So, uh, but um, I'm going to walk us through one more time the year of identity. But before that, Lance actually wanted me to kind of give you guys some updates over the last two months at the end of last year. It's last year now. Isn't that crazy? Uh, at the end of last year, we kind of did a lot of different things going on in our church that uh, everybody was a part of. And we wanted to kind of give you updates on that because we do a lot of things and you want to kind of know where those things kind of landed in the end. And so there's a lot of different things that happened. One was at the end of last year, um, some of the Bridgeway pastors, staff and volunteers got a chance to go into the California youth facilities and go into one of the max unit wards and get a chance to bring food and a message and spend time pouring into their lives. And it was an awesome opportunity um, to continue ministering to youth in the prison system um, outside you know, of what we already do here. Um, if you remember, we did a thing called the Christmas Christmas Center, where people were donating gifts of a certain amount, and there was 500 gifts donated to that, and then 70 different families came through, and they engaged with that, getting a chance to, to kind of purchase these gifts at a very, very, very reduced rate. Um, there were so many gifts that that also went into the Bridgeway Angels, kind of the inmate families, and 15 delivery teams went out to 32 families, and 118 more kids got Two gifts each plus books um, from that Christmas Center overage. And then what was great is Dan Gamel was telling me that they were able to keep going back to these homes and pray with them and follow up with them because these people want to engage with the church more because of such generosity. You also might remember that we had a market going on in the lobby out here, the Global Empowerment Market, which was different ministry partners that had um, made things that we were selling here. And in the end, $23,000 were raised from that Global empowerment market. Yeah, it's a huge blessing. $17,000 of that goes back into those ministry partners, which means that they can keep running their businesses. They can keep employing people, which means that everything that people gave and purchased goes out to empower people outside of our nation's boundaries and goes into bless other people's lives. Um, they also, about $5,000 of that is going to go into the missions fund to allow us to do another pastor's conference in Haiti this upcoming summer. So all that is from you guys. Um, the Koinonia home that is here locally, um, 40 of those students were able to get gifts also from all that was given. Um, a bunch of people um, by the lead of Kevin Moody had the chance to um, go. And if you came in on the Washington inside, they planted 500 plants in freezing conditions, and they just made that area actually look how we want our front yards to look. So if you want help, 1-800, no, they won't offer. That was volunteer work. But uh, in addition to that, our church also at the end of the year opened a registry kind of gift-giving opportunity to kind of just enhance and bless um, some other pieces of our new property and kind of to let people kind of invest in the specific things that they're, they're passionate about. And so you can go on the church's website and see 
see that. But so far, about $4,000 worth of items have been purchased and about um, $6,700 have been given towards larger items. And so a lot of stuff has been happening and that's all on top of the end of our invest campaign where after two years, the church congregation gave 4.9 million to be able to get us into this property and be able to do God's work. So, you know, we praise God for his provision and his stirring in everyone's life because that generosity is pouring out. And I pray that that continues, that God's provision in your life continues in 2017. And he gives you more and more open eyes and more willingness to go, man, how can I bless others with what God is doing with me? Um, you also want to be aware that the video talked about it a little bit. There's a lot of classes starting up into this new year and there's cards that were in the Christmas Eve bulletins this last weekend that you can get out in the lobby that have a lot of different things you can sign up for. And then of course, I'm going to promote this as much as I can. And that's that if you want to read the Bible in living color, we are going to Israel this year, this year. September 2017, and you have until February 8th to register for that. So if you want to read the Bible in color, um, join us for that. It's uh, one of my favorite trips. So, well, we can officially say that 2016 is done. It's past tense. And some of us are like, praise you, Jesus. Some of us are like, no, that's, that's good. But, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was a good year. But um, we're going to spend time exploring one more um, kind of, exploration of the year of identity because we we still want to finish this year searching out who we are personally to continue figuring out who we are as the church right who are we supposed to be what is our lives supposed to look like and we're going to keep spending time talking about that because we want to figure out what to do with this life i don't think any of us wants to go into 2017 and go into another routine that becomes a rut We want to go into a year where we are thriving and we are thriving by the spirit and the power of Jesus Christ. And we all should understand that just living life is not enough. We must absolutely must know what and why we are living. What is our purpose? What is something that matters? One philosopher has said it this way. Life that is not reflected upon is not worth living. We have to spend time stirring and thinking and figuring out what is it that we are meant to live for? What is something that we are actually meant to die for that is that valuable and that worthy? And see, our fear as Christian leaders is not that you will fail. That's not our fear. Our fear is that you will succeed in doing the wrong thing. And there's a big difference in that. Because when we're succeeding in anything, it feels okay. But we can succeed in doing the wrong thing. And so we want to examine and evaluate what our joy can be and what our lives are to make sure that we are not living from circumstance to circumstance in 2017. That we are not committing into a formula that we think will bring fullness, but in fact is something that is superficial. We want to learn how to live a life that is thriving and is for the Lord. And so I want to just spend the first part of the service kind of laying it all out on the carpet and facing the truth. This reality that I think all of us would agree about, that we all care quite a bit about our reputation. We care a lot about approval. We care a lot about status. We are driven by our appetites and our desires. We focus on the importance of what we are up to. We have a lot of ambition. 
And we have a lot of self-focus. And we have to be transparent and put all that on the table and speak about our identities. Because each of us has identities and reputations that you have been forming in 2016 and you will keep doing in 2017. Reputations and identities that you have molded, the ways you talk, the ways you act, the ways you dress. Because if you think about it, when you got up this morning, two things were dictating how you got dressed. One, I want to be comfortable. And two, I want people to think this about me. The way we balance our time, the way we set our priorities, all of this we form and we mold because we want people to look at us as this or that. And we have to admit that. There's another philosopher, I just call him a wise guy, that he describes this inward formation as this. He says, I see you seeing me. I see the me I think you see. What are you talking about? That's just crazy, right? I mean, it's like, just say it normal. Don't you, don't, don't you, I don't like philosophy because they can never say it normal. They have to say it a little bit more complicated. But what he's trying to talk about is that we all have this imaginary audience in our mind and we're constantly trying to figure out what is it that I think you are seeing of me? And then we start making decisions. We start dressing, we start talking, we start acting according to that. Have you ever thought of what it would look like if you could sit down and see what you made 2016 about. Like, I'm one of those people that I have like a vivid imagination and I get this like picture, like I got this private theater, right? It's like those nine seats with the leather lazy boys. And you sit down, you have this giant screen, you get your box of popcorn, you get your favorite candy, right? I'm a Kit Kat and a peanut M&M type of guy. You sit down, you get your favorite drink, whether it's hot or cold, and you just get a chance to watch this montage of everything that you did in 2016, every picture you posted or other people posted of you, every video you put up or other people made of you, everything that you wrote online, everything that you tweeted, everything, every Snapchat that you sent, everything that you had the chance to put up there. And then also every thought that you had. Now, some of you, if you're like me, you're going, you're freaking me out right now. I do not want to go back and go through every single thing I did. Some of you are indifferent. You're like, I got nothing to hide. I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty entertaining, right? So I would love to watch through my life and go, that was amazing. That, right? And so if you can imagine going through that, what would it say about what we did and what we celebrated and what happened in 2016? And I think a lot of us, we're concerned about our reputation. We're concerned about our status. We're concerned about our approval, And we want to figure these things out, but the thing that matters most is what God thinks about us. And that's what I want to focus on and give you a few sentences from the Lord that he gives about your reputation, about your purpose, and about your identity. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. I believe it's page 638 in the Bibles that are in the seat in front of you. Um, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I have a lot of favorite passages of scripture, but this is one that to me epitomizes an overview of what life looks like. And when I was trying to figure out what to finish this year with, because Lance just gave me a freebie. He said, finish the year of identity. And I'm like, okay, I could do the whole Bible, you know, and, and all this stuff. This verse to me summed up so perfectly what we have been talking about in the year of identity in, throughout 2016. So Jeremiah 9 verses 23 to 24. It says this, thus says the Lord, 
Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast of his strength. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices loyal love, who acts in justice. I do what's right. And I act in righteousness in the earth. I set things right. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And I love this verse. And I love it because it takes everything we've explored in 2016 and it puts it all into a couple sentences. Because when it says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, we went through Ecclesiastes. That's what most of that book is about. When it says, let not the strong man boast in his strength, we just finished the book of Judges, literally the weekend before Christmas, right? And that's a book that's all about people of strength and authority acting and often not really helping in fullness. And then when it says, let not the rich man boast in his riches, that's again back to Ecclesiastes and a little bit about Galatians and what it talks about, about our status in the household of God. Right? And so this book actually sums up all these different books that we have been talking about. But I want to help you understand Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 a little bit more. And to do that, we have to understand a little bit more about Jeremiah and the context of what we're reading. Because Jeremiah is what they call the wailing or the crying prophet, the weeper. Right? He was someone that he was given a message to give, but everywhere he went, he got beat up. He got arrested, he got put in prison, he got thrown in a cistern, and he's constantly going back to the Lord and going, come on, God, this sucks. And he's constantly in a spot where he's actually even questioning God. He gets very close to Job in challenging God and his plans and his ways. And one of the main messages he's giving all throughout his book is why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? That comes up six times in the book of Jeremiah. And he goes through and he's talking constantly about what has happened that Israel is in a place of failure and a place of judgment. And he starts kind of writing these funeral dirges, these funeral songs that are all about how woe is us and how bad is all this. And it's very depressing stuff. And if you were to read chapters eight and nine, right before these verses we went through, it's pretty depressing stuff. And yet, right in the middle of that rant, there's this wisdom jingle on our identity and God's identity. And if you're like me, you go, this doesn't seem in place of everything he's writing. And that's because Martin Luther made an observation in the 1500s where he realized that if you were to take every chapter of the book of Jeremiah and put it on a piece of paper, and then take all those pieces of paper and throw them up in the air, and then pick them all up off the ground, it doesn't matter what order they're in, you could read it in any order and it would still make sense. And it's because he said the message is so multifaceted that anywhere you pick up, it's going to speak right into a context that we are. But why does it come up here? Why does it matter today? Because at such critical points, like the turn of a year, where, our, where we have to discern what our hope, where our hope lies in, we re-rack for another year. We re-rack for another month. We re-rack for another week. And so this passage, it contrasts two different identities, one of self-sufficiency and human centeredness and human power. And then secondly, an orientation that's formed by our deepest knowledge of God. And so it's giving you two ways, two paths. But the hard part is, is we have been well-trained from birth to compete in the race of wisdom and power and riches. We teach our kids at a young age. 
We hold each other accountable to this. And one of the ways I know this is because when somebody suddenly comes aflame and they go, God wants me to get rid of everything and God doesn't want me to be in charge and God wants me to go out to the mission field, we go, you're crazy. Even within the church, we go, yeah, you better go out on the mission field because if we have too many of us in here like that, whoa. And so we have to be careful because we have been well-trained from birth to compete and race along this path. And if life was just about us, if a focus on these things was just about us, then that doesn't seem very irregular. Yet we're all here in church today. And we believe that there is something more. We believe that there is someone greater and that a human focus alone is only a portion of the equation. And so we go, I know that there's the other side and I'm trying to figure out how to run on that path. And so God drops before us in this passage these false sources of security in human wisdom, in human power, and in human riches. He wants us to not trust in these resources and abilities and these gifts alone. We cannot base who we are and our identity on those illusions. That's what he wants you to hear. They are not what forms who you are. And so he goes through these things, and I just want to highlight them quickly because I actually want to get to the other side a lot faster. And he talks about, first, wisdom, this Hebrew word chokmah, And it is the word that you see all throughout Ecclesiastes, but it's a word that's actually not talking about the biblical wisdom, that's fear of the Lord, but a human wisdom that comes from people's study, their knowledge of subjects, or their experience in life that gives them the reason how to use it. But the main idea of it that he's addressing is, this is a wisdom that we use to control the outcome of our life. And see, so many of us, we invest so many dollars and so much time into study or into life experience so that we can have the wisdom and knowledge to dictate and control what happens in the day-to-day in our lives. And he's saying, when you boast in that, you are boasting in the wrong thing. Because true wisdom comes from somewhere else. When it's talking about the strong man, it's actually talking about a mighty hero. It's talking about a hero's exploits associated with a hero's ability, both physical and authoritative, to accomplish much, to do amazing things. And if you're somebody that has read or seen any of the Marvel series, all the superhero movies, one of the themes that keeps coming out within this is that people that have this incredible ability and have these great exploits, people start fearing it, right? That's some of the Marvel movies that have been coming out. People fear what these heroes can do with their power and what they can do with their strength, and they want to control it, right? And that's the same kind of concern that we have if we boast in our strength and our abilities. And then riches, riches we've talked about quite a bit from the book of Ecclesiastes, but it builds into this idea of the accumulation of something, right? Whether that's physical dollars, which let's just be honest, nowadays it's digital dollars. There's not enough actual physical dollars. Some of us, it's experiences, that we do more trips, we do the more cutting-edge things, we want to experience more things. Some of us, it's literal objects, right? Which I know we just came off of Christmas, and you're like, oh, don't get onto the Christmas gift thing. I'm not. I'm just saying that when we boast in these things, there's a concern. And so we know that these are not evils in themselves. If you've been at our church, and if you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons from this year. Ecclesiastes goes through and makes it really clear that wisdom is not an evil. Riches are not an evil. Might is not an evil. But the roar of these things, 
drown out our ears and eyes so much that we have to ask the question, have we sold out to these principles above others? And that's the challenge God's putting through Jeremiah in this prophecy. And that word for boasting actually adds to it a little bit more because we hear boasting as just bragging, right? But if you have to understand it in the Jewish way of thinking, the word for boasting actually means to glory in. And it comes from the root word halal, which we hear as hallelujah, right? If you've ever said that line in a worship song, hallelujah is praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. And the word for boast here comes from that word. And so it's this idea of going, when we start praising these things, human wisdom and human riches and human power, when we start glorying and making our identity about these things, now we're missing it because that is the wrong object to praise or glory. Any of those things are not supposed to be the object of our worship. Now, this has made me ask very specific questions of myself, and I want to offer those same questions to you. That when I start trying to explore what it means to figure out what is it that I have been celebrating? What is it that I have been glorying in? I started writing down these types of questions. What are the last 10 things I talked about with someone outside of my family or my colleagues? What was I praising or what was I criticizing? Right? To just go through those last 10 conversations. I mean, what, what did you guys talk about over dinner at Christmas? Right? When you meet somebody and they ask you what you do or ask you what you're passionate about, what do you start talking about? What are the last 10 things that you posted in the World Wide Web? And what were they celebrating? What were the last 10 pictures you posted? The last 10 videos, right? And I'm not saying like the last picture that, that I posted was a picture of my family. Right? Am I, is that bad? That I'm going, look, God has given me a beautiful family, a beautiful wife, three amazing kids, a dog named Gandalf that's from New Zealand. It's, I mean, that's, you celebrate that. No. But I'm not saying that's a bad, but I'm just going through and exploring, am I glorying in these things and making that what my identity is all about? Because we abide in a context, in a world of subtle and very obvious boasting both digital and real time. And we present our identities to each other on a constant basis. And often it's going to one of those three categories. And even spiritual boasting occurs. That sometimes we get on the World Wide Web or we talk to somebody and we start bragging about what God's doing. And often that's an innocent and very simple thing. But sometimes we're almost boasting about, man, look what I'm doing with God versus what's God's doing through me. And that spiritual boasting even occurs. And what's hard about that is that many of the works of God within our lives are wonderful and yet concealed from humanity for a reason. I often look through the Gospels and I go, man, Jesus so many times did amazing things that people went out and they spread the word across the region. And then there's other times where Jesus would do a miracle and he'd go, go and tell no one. And we just seem to drop those verses. Because sometimes God wants to do something just to grow you. So why should we not boast in these securities, these things that seem worth celebrating? And I just want to give you three things quickly on that. First, we have to realize that wisdom and riches and power, they come from the Lord. The book of Ecclesiastes sets that for us. The whole entire scripture sets that for us. That leads us to the second point. These things wither and they deteriorate and they fade and they lose worth. If you were to go to the book of James, he talks about riches very specifically being like grass that just dries up in the sun, right? And these things are, are things that actually divide and disrupt 
the community, and even the church quite a bit. Because when you think about it, any reasons that you would go back to for why a church has split, or why sometimes people have left a church, it goes back to wisdom, whether we think we have more than someone, or that person has asserted their wisdom and they've been wrong, power and misuse of, and money. Those are all, like, these things disrupt and they, and they mess up things. And so they are not something that gives us worth. And that leads to the third thing. There's a not enough power in these things to give us life, to make us complete. We can't take pleasure in the wrong commodities that will not save. They're not worth it. And so we have to strive to not base our life and our reputation on these things. And I like what C.S. Lewis says. There's a book that you should read at some point in your life. It's called Screwtape Letters. It's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote as two demons talking back and forth through letters about their methods for taking down humans. And at one point, Screwtape says this to the other demon, all mortals tend to turn into the thing that they are pretending to be. That when they make their lives so much about this, this routine, this identity, they finally will just make that their identity. And so in the end, when that happens, we'll miss out on the greatest thing. Now, here's the reason why I bring up this one side. I don't think that you can convince me that these work as an end in themselves for our identity. Because what I've observed in my limited time here on earth is in in our local predicament, in our regional area, is I see more depression and more suicide. I see greater addictions. I see more broken homes and broken relationships. I see huge fear and mistrust and insecurity. And to me, it looks like if this is what people are making their identities, it's not cutting it. It's actually leaving more damage. Despite what all the reels and videos and montages of our lives we put up in front of each other say. It's not cutting it if God is not part of it. And so wisdom, strength, and riches, however valuable they may be when properly used, are altogether subordinate to the knowledge and understanding of Yahweh, of the Lord. And so what can we focus on in this life for what we're meant to live for? What is going to last far beyond these things? Because when, we be, when we're honest about it, we can talk about riches, right? But then the economy can turn this year and everything can be gone. I have a friend right now that's in South Sudan who their economy has turned and the economy has won up 800%. That everybody is having to leave Sudan because they can't afford anything right? Those things don't last. We can talk about all of our memories, all of our exploits. You could be an athlete that's just active and doing so much. And guess what? One crippling injury, it's all gone. You can have immense wisdom. You could have multiple PhDs and so much life experience that everyone comes to you to seek out stuff. And then guess what? You start getting older and you start forgetting all of it. And now you realize these things fade. And so we want to talk about How do we focus on the things that will last beyond all of this? And so this is where the passage turns and it gives us positive boasting and hope because it tells us the thing we can boast in in 2017 is understanding and knowing the faithful God more. And it starts by talking about understanding his true character. It's not just understanding more about God, more stories, more things that you hear indirectly from someone else. It's saying understand his true character directly, his loving kindness, his enduring love, his righteousness, his justice. 
One, one writer, John Blanchard, wrote this, No Christian is truly spiritual who does not revel as much in his ignorance of God as in his knowledge of him. That you don't keep realizing, I don't understand his faithful love enough. I don't understand his justice enough. I don't understand his righteousness enough. And so I want to learn more. I want to understand more. And this knowing is an acknowledging, a recognition that Yahweh is Lord. That our God is king and he is sovereign over every corner of our lives. Many of us learn the verse in Proverbs verses, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 that say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. And it seems so cliche, but it's trying to tell you, surrender every corner of your life in full trust to the one who leads all of it. And what happens is the more you know, the more you hunger to know. Because this knowing and this understanding is speaking of a relationship with God that can be cherished and that can be enjoyed and that can be enlarged and that needs to be guarded. It's sharing life with him and trusting him with every corner. This knowing and understanding goes so deep. And so he gives you this contrast, these three identity pieces of wisdom and power and riches. And then he goes, but look at my identity and start leaning into that and what you can understand. These are things that are the better source of identity and well-being. These are things that are the better security in your life and the better authority. These are the grounds for boasting. This is the race that we can run. And he starts by talking about his covenant love. said, where God is prompted to show devoted love and kindness and generosity, whether or not someone deserves it or expects it, and whether or not they're going to reciprocate it. This is God going... I don't care how much wisdom you have. I don't care how much power you have. I don't care how much riches you have. I love you and I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to be faithful to you because my love is that big. Because your life matters that much. Your identity is one where I've created you and I want a relationship with you. Then he talks about his justice, mishpat, where right doing is envisioned and made possible. God wants right living to be perfectly established for all people. And when you think about this, this is what the justice system tries to do here on earth, right? Every government, every area, we try to set up a justice system, a balance, so that we can establish the rights of every man, woman, and child. But guess what happens? Those fixed on wisdom, human wisdom, those fixed on power, those fixed on riches, start distorting those human systems. Which is why God's justice is bigger and God's justice is meant to do this perfectly and even greater, it directs us to envision it because God's justice is active. He wants us to go and do what he does. He wants us to protect and deliver those who are being oppressed, those who are being mistreated. God does not just want our justice system and us to restrain the evildoer, the wrongdoer. He wants us as the righteous that follow after his identity to go and do these things likewise. To go and deliver and save and to go and help those who are being mistreated. Enact justice. And that leads to his last one. He goes, my righteousness, my integrity. This Hebrew word, zedekah. This right living and right thinking that is significantly influenced by the relationship that's offered. That God goes, I'm not asking you to live a certain way just because. 
Because I, I'll tell you, as a parent and as someone that works with high schoolers, people hate it when someone goes, you should do this. Why? Because I told you so. Right? How many of you as parents use that line all the time? I don't have to explain myself. I'm the parent. Just go do it. Right? And after a while, we start resisting that as humans. And God's going, you know what? It's not like that. I don't tell you that you need to live a certain way just because I told you so. I'm telling you to live a certain way because I have offered you a relationship based on my unfailing love. I have offered you a relationship based on looking out for the good of all of humanity. And I'm saying now live and let your identity be shaped from that. Righteousness is the fulfillment of a relationship that has been, that has been grown through deliverance and restoration. And so God gifts these things to us through his own identity before he expects any of it from us. He wants us to uncover this with him as we come to know him. He wants to take us on a journey where we can see why these are something that lasts in our lives and they can appropriately define culture and life and community and purpose. They are our hope when life and purpose seems chaotic and insecure. And so these qualities are supposed to become the foundation of community and society. So here's the hard part. A lot of you are going, thank you for the sobering message at the beginning of 2017. I hate you. And, uh, and a lot of us are going, okay, so what are you asking me to do? Right? Because Matt, if I'm going to do a reversal of all these things, wisdom and power and riches, and I'm supposed to pursue just knowing and understanding God, you're asking me to be a monk or a nun, and I don't look good in robes. Some of us are going, I can't just make all of life about learning and understanding God. You get to do that, Matt. You're a pastor. So what are you asking me to do? I cannot just know and understand God more, can I? And I want you to understand something. This is not another New Year's resolution. This is not something that I'm asking you or that we're challenging you or that God is saying to do from your own willpower. I think it's more simple than that. I believe the Lord is calling us all to surrender these corners of our lives constantly into something better. Which is why I think this passage is influenced more by another passage in the book of Jeremiah. And so if you have your Bible still open, go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 is a chapter that talks about the new covenant that God would enact. Because what had happened is in the Old Testament, the covenant had been written on stone and scroll and failed to make the transition to living practice. People heard it. People knew it. They could not do it. And that seems to be the same challenge we have now. We go, I want to know God. I want to understand him. I want to see him and encounter him and all his qualities and characters, but I don't feel like I can do it. And here it's talking about the day was foretold that we live in now when the law would be written directly on the heart of all people and each person would know the Lord directly and live by that knowledge. And so this passage is possible because of what Jeremiah 31 says. So if you're there, it's Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34. And I just want to read it with you. We're going to bullet point some of it and we're going to wrap this up. So this is what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Check this out. I will put my law within them. 
I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God is saying you can know and understand me because I made a new covenant that made it possible for you to do that easily. And this is all based off this idea that God enacted a better promise that was bound to the faithfulness, the love, the excellencies of himself. And so here's the thing that this new covenant brings, and it expands through more of Jeremiah and more of the prophets. But he first talks about how there's going to be a new mediation. God says, I will make a new covenant. This is a covenant made by God alone. You did not make the covenant. He made it. He made it, and it was unilateral, which means he signed it, you did not have to. Which means that he opened the door for you to know and understand him. He talked about a new personal presence where his law would be within us. He says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. If you were to go to Ezekiel chapter 36, it says God will give us a new heart and a new spirit I will put within them, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's like, I'm going to put my presence directly in you so it is not hard to know and understand me. He says there's going to be a new atonement. It says in the passage in verse 34, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That God makes it possible through a new sacrifice, an absolute sacrifice, that now there's an entryway to speak to the Father and being able to look at him face to face. And that is in Jesus Christ. That's what this is looking forward to. It talks about a new heart that we will be given a new heart, that it will be written on our hearts in verse 33 that he will circumcise our heart. Where if you were to go to the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 10, it is not possible for us to circumcise our hearts. Only God can do it. And God is saying, I have made the covenant offer to do that for you so that you can know and understand me. In chapter 32, it says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. And in verse 41 of this chapter, it says, he will plant them in this land with all my heart and all my soul. There's a new testimony where the vows of this covenant will not be engraved on stone externally anymore. They will be engraved on human tissue internally. It gives us a new personal intimacy. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Everybody will know the Lord. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Everyone will and can know and understand because of what God has done and what he's done in Jesus Christ. And if you were to go to the next chapter, chapter 32, God says, I will make this an everlasting covenant. It cannot be broken. It will never end. It started and we now live in that same eternal covenant. Now, as we encounter him through Jesus Christ. And this is where I want to take you to one more passage. Okay. I apologize, but there's so much here, but I want you to go to the new Testament. Now, first Corinthians chapter one, first Corinthians chapter one, because Paul actually takes this verse, Jeremiah nine, 23 and 24, and he interprets it all in the light of Jesus Christ, Jeremiah chapter, or sorry, first Corinthians chapter one, 
verses 26 to 31. If you turn there, um, I'm going to read it to you because it just lays all this out and you're going to see the familiarity that it has. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, your brothers. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Sound familiar? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And from him, this is the verse right here, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Very similar to the list that we get in Jeremiah. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Paul locates the source of our identity in Christ Jesus, who God has made our wisdom. He says, you can know and you can understand God because Jesus Christ came. He became our wisdom. He became the way by which we boast. He became the way by which we can grow deeper and closer to an encounter with Jesus. So Paul makes the saving act of Jesus the way we know and understand. And that to me gives such hope for 2017. That is our greatest privilege and the greatest reality that we have, that we can know the indescribable creator of the universe, the one who has pursued you with relentless love. You can know him and understand his true character deeper because you can encounter Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross that forgives you of your sins, wipes the slate clean so you can be face to face with God. And that re-racks and that reprioritizes your life so that your identity does not have to be shaped by power or by riches or by human wisdom. Your identity is shaped by this fact that you say, I know him. It gives us a distinct joy, an enthusiasm for life beyond our little world and our personal well-being. His kingdom reign starts happening here and now. And it means that when you go into this year now, you walk into it, and it's not that you start glorying or praising the fact that you have wisdom and that you have control of your life. You start saying, man, I know Jesus, and that is changing me every single day. You don't start talking about the power or the trips or the events or the things that you're doing. You start going, man, I am encountering so many amazing things with Jesus that every place he sends me, I see more and more of him. You start looking at everything that you keep accumulating. All the stuff, all the experiences, all the money, and you go, man, all of that is nothing because I have gotten to know the God of the universe. I encountered Jesus and so everything I'm getting, I can give back out because I know him and I don't have to set up my own security. I don't have to set up my own well-being at all times because I have someone greater. And so we're challenged to reevaluate our understanding of wisdom and power and riches and reprioritize our lives. And we hear at the end of that passage in Jeremiah 9, God says, these things that are my trademarks, I delight in these things. When you start living with understanding and knowing him as your identity, now God goes, this is what I delight in. I love it 
when you get to know me. I love it when this becomes who you're about because this is how I view you. And so it's worth it and it's necessary that we continue to know him more and more day by day. And it's not something that you have to wait till you become an adult to figure out. It's not something you have to wait to get your life all together before you can actually know and understand him. Let your search and your purpose now, this year, be on the only thing, the only person who is constant. The only one who has the power, who is more committed than any person you will ever meet, more dependable than any job you will ever have, has more worth than anything you will ever own, and is more valuable than any grade or recognition that you will ever get. Focus on 2017 about understanding and knowing the Lord, because he made it possible for you to do so. He has made it easy. And so let me leave you with this last verse, Colossians 1. This is my prayer over you. This is a prayer that aims us into the end of the, the new year. Paul says in Colossians, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Lord, open our eyes, open our ears and drastically, drastically show us that our identity comes in knowing and understanding you and that the greatest thing that you ever made possible is for us to know you and understand you by the wisdom of Jesus Christ, our savior and our rescuer. So we love you and we ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, we're glad that you were here this morning. May God bless you immensely for being here, the first ones this morning. And then be back next weekend because we will be starting a new series. It's going to be the year of, I can't tell you, you have to be here next weekend. So blessings in 2017.